What's your favorite scary movie? Stop Horror Time, the podcast where two 20-something LGBTs talk the horror movie of the week, real-life crime or events, and if it's worthy of being an honorary gay film. And yes, the titles are puns. I'm Elle. I'm Kate. Hello. Hello. We're back from a one-week hiatus. <laughs> My bad. That was on me. Um, we're coming back back at you hot with um, the, a recent release. It's 2019's Ma. Directed by Tate Taylor, you know, famous for that other horror movie, The Help. Um, <laughs> he collaborates once again with, with Miss Octavia Spencer. Yes. Um, <laughs> as Hunter Harris would call her, federal agent Octavia Spencer. <laughs> God. Uh, had you seen this before? I had not. No. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay, so quick synopsis, because I always forget to do that, but, um, so, it, it focuses around these kids, there's this new girl in town, she moves back to her, like, mom's hometown, because her dad leaves them, and so they move back to this small town, and she makes these new friends, they're, you know, just being teens and, like, trying to get someone outside of a liquor store to buy them booze, and they, they ask Octavia Spencer to do it, and at first, at first she doesn't want to and then she sees you watching it a second time i notice it's like oh she doesn't say yes until she sees the name on the van and then she's like okay Okay. (laughs) and and you you find out later why but um and then eventually she invites them to her basement to start like drinking and stuff and um you you find out her ulterior motives and why she's trying to like get a second chance at being a teenager it's because her her high school experience was not so great. Um, was it anybody's? <laughs> I mean, no, but it wasn't that bad. Mine wasn't that bad. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, but um, so tell me your firsthand thoughts, like how much you knew going into this, or I had I all I knew was basically like she was inviting the teens over to like drink in her basement, mm-hmm. and that was it. And then they were like, <laughs> weird shit was going to start happening. Yeah, it did. It did. I think Octavia Spencer had, like, a fun time, because I don't think she's ever had a role like this before. Yeah. That I know of. So, like, she probably just, like, went in for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad she had a good time. I, I've expressed before on here, I think, like, how I wasn't always entirely sure how to feel about this movie, especially when the trailer first came out. Because mm-hmm. I, me- I remember, like, the trailer dropped, like, the week after I had watched Horror Noir. Yeah. It was all about, like, how we perceive black people in horror movies and the roles that we give them. And then I see this, and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, like... And, like, it's it's to- it's ob- obviously not my lane to even, like, um, express an opinion on it, but I'm just expressing, like, what I'm noticing. Yeah. Uh, but, like... F- from the looks of it, like, this wasn't, this was actually written for a white woman, and Octavia Spencer was just like, I want to play her, and so I think, like, so she should be able to have fun, she, she definitely had some fun, and brought, I mean, a, she brought a lot to the character, like, she's going for it, she's, yeah, that is a performance, that is acting, <laughs> and especially because as her backstory unfolds, Ma becomes, 
even though she is the villain of the piece, she becomes a sympathetic villain because we understand why she's doing what she's doing. And I guess we can't really talk about that without getting into spoilers, as always. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I would love to hear somebody's thoughts, um, since we are both white, uh, on the opinion of Ma, since we, yeah, I saw, I saw Horror Noir and then the trailer for this dropped and I was just like, I would, you know, somebody, uh, you know, like a black person's thoughts on yeah. um, Ma, more yeah, than in I, mine and anything. Yeah, and if, and if y'all know, like, black critics or anything that reviewed this, please send them my way. Like, I, I just tried to look at, I noticed stuff at least when the trailer dropped, like, mixed reactions from black women. Like, some were like, what the fuck is this? And others were like, yeah, Ma, kill those white kids. <laughs> 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 so, I don't, you know, I, I think it's like any, like, issue like this. Like, there's no clear-cut answer or single-sided opinion from yeah. that, like, specific, like, community or minority. But yeah. I just thought it sh- should be worth mentioning before we get into this. Yes. You know. You know. Definitely. And the, also the, the fact that there's there's only one there's one black kid in the group and at one point she paints his face white and says there's only room for one of us. <laughs> I think uh, th- that's like that's that's when this movie goes into pure exploitation though. Like that's, yeah. there's a reason I chose this for a queer horror podcast not just because so well I guess I can get into that later but like okay so this movie's pure camp right? Yeah. This is this is modern camp like Tate. Tate Taylor gave us camp, and I'm so thankful for it. Like, my audience was laughing, like, the whole time. I'm very jealous of Michael Kennedy from from Queer Wolf, who said that he saw this, like, in West Hollywood, in a theater full of gay men who were, like, just losing it. He said at the end, like, this man stood up and started clapping. And I'm like, oh, that's a mood. Oh, my God. Uh, because this movie truly is wild. It, you don't think it's going to be. And then once that kung fu fighting needle drop hits, I'm like, oh, this is oh, here what we go. we're getting into. <laughs> God. Um, I, know. I also liked the... Going back to, like, Ma's backstory and everything. It, it truly reminded me of, like, an 80s slasher or something. Those those flashbacks specifically. Yeah. Where you, like, find out that the killer the killer was bullied or something. Like, the, and I, they were shot that way, too. I'm sure that was the intention. Like, it reminded me, like, like prom night or even, like, you know, Friday the 13th with the flashbacks of, of the villain. I loved that little addition to it, and I feel like it added to the camp aspect of it. Yeah. For doing, like, a throwback kind of thing without it actually being, like, set in that time period. But... It led to the style of the movie, for sure. Oh, definitely. Other camp moments include the running over... What's her name? Oh, Mercedes? <laughs> Mercedes! Ass got run over. <laughs> Bitch, do you remember? <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I just love, love that she immediately turns it on and it starts playing September by Earth and Fire, and I'm just like... <laughs> There's so many fucking iconic moments in this film. Thank you, Miss Spencer. (laughs) She's so good. I love her so much. I'd love to see her in another horror movie, like... Matu. Matu. (laughs) Matu. We have some some interviewer asked Taylor, like, "Uh, could Ma come back? Do you think she survived that fire? And he's like, I don't know. You'll have to ask Ma. I got out of that house. It was was too hot. (laughs) (laughs) Like I think this did. I'm not sure how well this did. It was it was only like five million dollars to make. I don't but I don't know if Blumhouse is planning a sequel or not. Uh, I don't think so. No. Uh, R.I.P. 
Uh, Apple says it's like it's just been released and like it's got like in mixed receptions and it's like fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So maybe this will become like a cult classic. Oh, I want to do a rowdy screening of Ma. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm also fine with that. Not everything has to have a sequel. Like I'm fine with this being a one and done. The monster dies at the end, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it totally. It literally ends like a classic monster movie where it literally just ends after after Ma dies. Like after, there's no like afterthought. Like yeah. that's very very classic monster movie. This is a universal monster. I was thinking movie. like I was like Frankenstein because like building the yeah. buildings burning down. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, can I can I also talk about how the peril how the misery tease in this to me? Yes. <laughs> how yes. like w- watching this, I was like, I would totally. Watch a remake of Misery starring Octavia Spencer and Luke Evans. Oh so my maybe, god. So maybe that's where we can get Octavia into another role like this, is if I direct oh a Misery god. remake that no one asked for. <laughs> and I'll make Annie Wilkes a real dyke this time. Yeah. Oh god. my god, when Luke when Luke Evans popped up, I was like, Luke Evans? Because I didn't know he was in this movie. <laughs> oh! I was like, hello? a fun surprise? Hello? I was like, Luke Evans, Luke Evans playing, like, a, a straight man. I'm just like, God the bless. S- like, the straight man. The straight man. God. He's so gay. I love him. Yeah, I forgot that, I forgot that Ted Taylor had also made Girl on a Train, which Luke Evans was also in. So oh, like, he just loves Luke Evans. I mean, don't we all? I know. <laughs> God. Yeah, he, and Tate Taylor was in the film, too. He played the officer. Yeah, so yeah. that was a fun little cameo. I didn't know who, that was him, so I was like, hey. <laughs> also well, Misery Tease, the person checking in, getting shot. That, yeah. Well, that's, not, that's not just Misery, but, like, anytime <laughs> someone's being held up captive, someone has to be like, what's going on? And then immediately gets killed. <laughs> misery. <laughs> misery. <laughs> did, you, did you guess the whole twist at all that Ma has the daughter? I did not. I did not see that coming. Yeah. I figured there was something going on when there was, like, when, the during, like, the first part of the movie when they were first, like, kind of in the the basement and then she, like, hears, like, that thumping noise. And yeah. I was like, okay, somebody's up there. I don't know who, but yeah. somebody's probably up there. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, I did not know that was yeah, gonna happen. Yeah, I thought, so. I thought that was a clever little switcheroo, because you assumed, like, oh, she's, are there already teens up there she's holding captive? It was a red herring. I mean, <laughs> she's still doing plenty of bad things. <laughs> Wasn't she, like, I don't, did they ever explain, was she, like, pretending her daughter was sick? Was it was kind of like a the act kind of thing? Yeah, I think it was. Shit. Because, like, that's, like, a way to take control of something in your life, yeah. and, like, be the caregiver of uh somebody so um yeah that that but then the girl is like she knew that she wasn't sick i think she was just going along with it because she was scared of what yeah. her mom could do so yeah. dang yeah it's a lot <laughs> yeah. ma is a lot <laughs> did you have a, a true life event for this Yes, I did. You actually brought it up. What? <laughs> the, what? The, the, uh, Dee Dee Blanchard and, uh... Oh, okay! Oh, shit! <laughs> buckle the hell we in. We did not plan this, folks, no. at home. I swear. <laughs> nope, we did not. So this is a lot. So... Oh, boy. You're gonna have to buckle the hell in. Alright, I got my Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm ready. Just ready. So, a little backstory. Uh, the... 
people that were involved in this was Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose, who was her child, that she was the, you know, the whole Munchausen's by proxy syndrome. Yeah. And it was in the news, like, in 2015 when, uh, Jesse Rose tried to have her, like, online boyfriend, like, kill her mom. So, to get all the, to, like, start at the beginning, we gotta kind of go all the way back to the <laughs> 1960s. Yes. Uh, so, Dee Dee Blanchard was born in, was born Claudine Petre in Chack Bay, uh, Louisiana, near the Gulf Coast in 1967, uh, growing up near Golden Meadow with her family. She was the daughter of Anthony P- Peter Sr. and Emma Louise Gisclair, and she had five siblings. Uh, Claude Jr., Claudia, Evans, Doria, and Todd. Uh, during her childhood, relatives recalled that she engaged in petty theft, usually when things did not go her way. Uh, and early in her adult life, she worked as a nurse's aide. Um, and then around the time of 1997, small flash forward, her family expressed suspicion that she might have killed her own mother by denying her food. Oof. Mm-hmm. So... When she was 24 years old, she became pregnant by Rod Blanchard, who was 17 at the time. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, ah! Ah! (laughs) Uh, I was like, oh, here we go, here we go. I was like, it's just going to go downhill from here. Um, They named their daughter Gypsy Rose. Gypsy, since Claudine liked the name, and Rose because Rod was a fan of Guns N' Roses. Not because of Gypsy Rose Lee? This is just a coincidence? (laughs) Just coincidence. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so, shortly before she was born in July of 1991, the couple separated when Rod stated in a 2017 interview that he got married for the wrong reasons. Uh, Claudine tried to get him to return, but since he did not want to come back, she took her newborn daughter to live with her family. Uh, according to Rod, who was still involved with his daughter at this point, uh, by the time she was about three months old, her mother was convinced that she was suffering from sleep apnea and began taking her to the hospital for overnight stays. Uh, there was a sleep monitor and other tests administered to her during those nights, uh, but there was no sign of the condition found. Nevertheless, she became convinced that Gypsy Rose had a wide range of health issues, which she attributed to an unspecified chromosomal disorder. She never said what. Just that <laughs> she's know, sick. <laughs> you know. chromosomes. So when uh, Gypsy Rose was about seven or eight years old, she was riding on her grandfather's motorcycle when they were involved in a minor accident. Like, her worst injury was, like, an abrasion to her knee, which her mom said was the visible sign of injuries that would require several surgeries to treat properly. Oh, boy. (laughs) From then on, uh, Gypsy Rose, who was already using a walker at this time, was confined to a wheelchair, even though she was healthy enough to walk, walk on her own. So she often went to Special Olympics with her parents, and in 2001, uh, when Claudine claimed that Gypsy Rose was eight, she was actually ten at the time, uh, she was named the honorary queen of the Crew of Mid-City, which was a child-oriented parade held during Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Uh, she seemed to stop going to school about around second grade, possibly even kindergarten, uh, and her mother homeschooled her after that, supposedly because her illnesses were so severe. And she taught herself how to read, thanks to the Harry Potter books. Um, when Rod had remarried, Claudine moved in with her family and stepmother. Uh, and they would later claim that when Claudine was preparing food for her stepmother, she poisoned it with Roundup weed killer, leading to her own chronic illness during this period. Uh, And also during this time, she was arrested for several minor offenses, which included also writing bad checks. Uh, 
when they confronted her about her treatment of her of Gypsy Rose and expressed suspicion about her role in her stepmother's health, uh, she left with Gypsy Rose for Slidell. And then, of course, to nobody's surprise, the stepmother's health got better after she left. So in Slidell, Claudine and Gypsy Rose lived in public housing. They paid with their bills with public assistance that Claudine had been granted due to her daughter's supposed medical conditions and Rod's child payments, child support payments. They spent most of their time visiting various specialists, mostly at Tulane Medical Center and the Children's Hospital of New Orleans, seeking treatment of the illnesses Claudine claimed Gypsy Rose suffered from, uh, which now included hearing and vision problems. So there was even a muscular bio biopsy done on her, and they found no signs of muscular dis dystrophy. Dystrophy. Yeah. <laughs> Claudine insisted that Gypsy Rose had, uh, but she was successful in securing a treatment for her daughter's other purported problems, uh, even despite that. She told doctors that Gypsy Rose had seizures every few months, and so they gave her anti-seizure meds. Uh, several surgeries were performed on her during this time, and Claudine regularly took Gypsy to the emergency room for minor ailments. And after Hurricane Katrina struck in 2005, they left their apartment for a shelter in Covington to set up that was set up for individuals with special needs. Claudine said Gypsy Rose's medical records, including her birth certificate, had been destroyed in the flooding. Uh, and there was a doctor from the Ozarks who suggested that they relocate to Missouri, and they did. So, she's in my state. She was in my state when this all, like, went down. Uh, she wasn't in my city, but she was in my state. Uh, at first, they rented... Is this rented... a big thing for... Oh, sorry. Is this a big thing for, like, local Missourians? Down, down like, in Springfield. Hell yeah, yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, at first, they lived in a rented home in Aurora, which was located more in the southwest area of Missouri, uh, and during their stay there, Gypsy Rose was honored by the Ole Foundation, who advocates for the rights of fee-tooting recipients as their 2007 Child of the Year. In 2008, Habitat for Humanity built them a small house with a wheelchair ramp and a hot tub as part of a larger project on the north side of Springfield, which is where they moved to eventually. Uh, the story of a single mother with a severely disabled daughter forced to flee Katrina received considerable local media attention and the community often pitched in to help the woman who is now went by Claudine Blanchard, uh, a.k.a. Dee Dee. So, as you can tell, this is, <laughs> this is going downhill really, really yeah. fast. Oh my god. So, the outpouring of support included a great deal of charitable contributions. In Louisiana, Mother... The mother and daughter had at most availed themselves of occasional stays at the Ronald McDonald House during medical appointments. Uh, in, in Missouri, they received free flights to see doctors in Kansas City, free trips to Walt Disney World, and backstage passes to a Miranda Lambert concerts, which she was <laughs> where she frequently photographed with the singer uh, via the Make-A-Wish Foundation, in addition to the house Habitat had built for them. Uh, Rob Blanchard also continued to make monthly child payment supports, uh, support payments of about $1,200, as well as sending Gypsy gifts and occasionally talking to her on the phone. Uh, during one phone call on her 18th birthday, he recalls Dee Dee telling him not to mention her daughter's real age since they think she's 14. Quotations. Oh uh, Rod and his second wife regularly hoped to get to Springfield and visit, but for a variety of reasons, Dee Dee would change plans. She told her neighbors in Springfield that Gypsy Rose's father was an abusive drug addict and alcoholic who had never come to terms with his daughter's health issues and never sent them any money. Uh, many people who met Gypsy were charmed by her. Uh, she was five feet tall, 
nearly toothless, with large glasses and a high, a high childlike voice, reinforced the perception that she had all the problems that her mom said that she did. She often wore wigs or hats to cover her baldness because her mother regularly shaved her head to mimic the hairless appearance of a chemotherapy patient. Uh, allegedly telling Gypsy that since her medication would eventually cause her hair to fall, it was best to shave it in advance. When they left the house, Dee Dee often took an oxygen tank and feeding tube with them. Uh, she was, she, Gypsy was fed the chick, little, I can't talk today, fed the children's liquid nutrition supplement Pediasure well into her 20s. Uh, Dee Dee used to physically abuse to control her daughter, always holding her daughter's hand in the presence of others. Whenever Gypsy said something that either suggested she was not really sick or seemed above her purported mental cap capabilities, Gypsy recalls that her mother would give her a very tight squeeze. Uh, when the two were alone, she would often strike Gypsy with open hands or a coat hanger. So, medical interventions continued. Dee Dee had some of Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox, then extracted altogether to control her drooling, which Gypsy later claimed her mother had induced by using a topical anesthetic to numb her gums before doctor's visits. The lack of sal salivary glands coupled with side effects of the anti-seizure medication she was given caused her teeth to decay to the point that majority of her front teeth were extracted and replaced by a bridge. Uh, tubes were implanted in her ears to control her myriad purported ear infections. So, basically, she would have grown up as a normal, healthy kid if her mom hadn't done all these things to her, like... She lost a lot of, like, all, like, like her teeth was her mom's, like, forcing this medication and all this stuff onto her. So, uh, Bernardo Flasterstein, a pediatric neurologist who saw Gypsy in Springfield, became suspicious of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis. Uh, he ordered MRIs and blood tests, and he found no abnormalities. Uh, he said, I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk, he told Dee Dee on a follow-up visit after seeing Gypsy stand and support her own weight. Flesterstein noted that Dee Dee was not a good historian. After contacting Gypsy's doctors in New Orleans, he learned that Gypsy's original muscle biopsy had come back negative, undermining Dee Dee's self-reported diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, as well as her claim that Gypsy's records had been destroyed by flooding. He suspected the possibility of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, um... Mm. And Dee Dee contrived to gain access to Flasterstein's notes and subsequently stopped taking her daughter to see him. Uh, he did not follow up by reporting Dee Dee to services. He had been... Oh! He said he had been told by other doctors to treat the pair with golden gloves and doubted the authorities would believe him anyways. Uh, in 2009, an anonymous caller told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and her daughter and suggested Gypsy was in better health than claimed. Officers who performed the resulting wellness check accepted Dee Dee's explanation that she used the misinformation to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband to find her a gypsy without talking to Rod and reported that Gypsy seemed generally mentally handicapped and the file was closed. They were like, okay. Uh, Girl. No, it gets getting worse. Oh my god. <laughs> Dee Dee seemed to have at least once forged a copy of her daughter's birth certificate, uh, moving her birth date to 95 to bolster claims that she was still a teenager. Uh, Gypsy later said later in an interview that for 15 years, she was not sure of her real age. She sometimes also claimed that the original had been destroyed during the post-Katrina flooding, and Dee Dee also kept another copy with Jer Gypsy's actual birth date. Her daughter recalls seeing it during one of their hospital visits and becoming confused but Dee Dee just told her it was a misprint so lying 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 
Lion Cat. <laughs> Since 2001, Gypsy had attended science fiction and fantasy conventions, sometimes in costumes, since she could blend in even in her wheelchair. At an event in 2011, she made what may have been another escape attempt that ended when her mother found her in a hotel room with a man she had met online. Again, Dee Dee produced the paperwork giving Gypsy's false younger birth date and threatened to inform the police. Gypsy recalls that afterwards, Dee Dee smashed her computer with a hammer and threatened to do the same to her fingers if she ever tried to escape again. She also kept Gypsy leashed and handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. Uh, Dee Dee later told Gypsy that she had filed paperwork with the police claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent, leading Gypsy to believe that if she attempted to go to the police for help, that they would not believe her. Uh, sometime around 2012, uh, Gypsy managed to still use the internet after her mother had gone to bed to avoid her tightened supervision, made contact online with Nicholas Gojon, a man around her age from Big Bend, Wisconsin. Uh, she said they met on a Christian singles group. Uh, Gojon had some issues of his own. He had a criminal record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness stated at the time to be either dissociative identity disorder or autism. Uh, and in 2014, Gypsy confided to a Leo Woodsmanzi, a 23-year-old neighbor who, unaware that Gypsy was close to her own age, considered herself a big sister, uh, that she and Gojon had discussed eloping and had even chosen names for potential children. Uh, Gypsy had five separate Facebook accounts, and Gojon flirted online in their exchanges, sometimes using BDSM elements, which Gypsy had since claimed was more than what he was interested in. Woodsmanzi tried to talk her out of it, still thinking Gypsy was too young and possibly being taken advantage of by an online sexual predator. She considered Gypsy's plans just fantasy and dreams, and nothing like this would ever really take place. Uh, despite Steedy's efforts to prevent her from using the internet, which went as far as destroying her daughter's phone and laptop, she maintained contact with Winsmanzi, who saved printouts of the posts Gypsy shared until 2014. The next year, Gypsy arranged and paid for Gojon to meet her mother in Springfield. Her plan was for him to just bump into her while she and Dee Dee were at a movie theater, both of them in costume, and apparently strike up a relationship that way, for, then for her to introduce him to her mother. As soon as they did meet in person for the first time, Gojon says Gypsy led him to the bathroom where they had sex. Apparently, she, per However, she apparently did not find him as desirable in person as he had seemed online. She later said he was creepy. <laughs> Just, yeah, okay. Uh, the two continued their internet interactions and began developing their plan to kill her mother. So, Gojon returned to Springfield in June of 2015, arriving while Gypsy and her mother were away at a doctor's appointment. After they had returned home and Dee Dee had gone to sleep, he went to the Blanchard house. Uh, Gypsy allowed him in and allegedly gave him duct tape, gloves, and a knife with the understanding that he would use it to murder Dee Dee. Uh, Gypsy claimed later that she did not expect him to be able to do it. Uh, Gypsy hid in the bathroom and covered her ears so that way she would not have to hear her mother yelling when he was killing her. Uh, he's, Joe John had stabbed her several times in the back while she was asleep. Uh, the two then had sex in Gypsy's room and took $4,000 in cash that Dee Dee had been keeping in the house, mostly from her ex-husband's child support checks. They fled to a motel outside Springfield where they stayed for a few days while planning their next move, in which during that time they were seen on security cameras at several local stores. Gypsy said at that point she believed the two had managed to get away with their crime. Doubt it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they mailed the murder weapon back to Gojon's home in Wisconsin to avoid being caught with it. 
then took a bus there. Several witnesses saw the pair on their way to the Greyhound station and noted that Gypsy wore a blonde wig and walked unassisted. So, this is when the investigation and arrest come in. Ah! <laughs> After seeing a concerning Facebook status posted from Dee Dee's account, the Blanchard's friends suspected something was not right. When phone calls went unanswered, several of them went to the house. Uh, while they knew that the two often left on medical trips unannounced, they saw that Dee Dee's Nissan Cube, uh, modified to hold Gypsy's wheelchair, was still in the driveway, making the, the explanation unlikely. Protective film on the windows made it hard to see inside in the low light, and nobody answered the door, so the friends called 911. When the police arrived, they had, wait they had to wait for a search warrant to be issued before they could enter, but they allowed one of the neighbors present to climb through a window where he saw that the inside of the house was largely undisturbed, and that all of Gypsy's wheelchairs were still present. Uh, when the warrant was issued, police entered the house and soon found Dee Dee's body. A GoFundMe account was set up to pay for her funeral expenses and possibly Gypsy's because they had no idea what the hell was going on right now. Mm -hmm. All who knew the Blanchards fear the worst. Even if Gypsy had not been harmed, they believed she would be helpless without her wheelchair, medications, and support equipment like the oxygen tanks and feeding tube. Woodsman Z, who was among those gathered on the Blanchard's lawn, told police that she knew about Gypsy and her secret online boyfriend. She showed them the print house that she had saved, which included his name. Uh, based on that information, the police asked Facebook to trace the IP address to see which, from which the posts to Dee Dee's account had been made. It turned out to be in Wisconsin, and the next day police agencies in Wakusha County raided the Gojon's Big Bend home. Both he and Gypsy rendered and were taken into custody on charges of murder, felony, armed criminal action. The news that Gypsy was safe was greeted with relief back in Springfield, where she and Gojon were soon extradited and held on $1 million bond. But, in announcing the news, Greene County Sheriff Jim Arnott warned things were not always what they appear. The media in Springfield soon reported the truth of the Blanchard's lives, that Gypsy had never been sick, had always been able to walk, and that her mother had made her pretend otherwise, using physical abuse to control her. Arnott urged people not to donate any money to the family until investigators learned the extent of the fraud. So, uh, after the disclosure of how Dee Dee had treated Gypsy all those years, sympathy for her as the victim of a violent murder rapidly shifted to her daughter as a long-term victim of child abuse. While the charge of first-degree murder can carry the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, uh, county prosecutor Dan Patterson soon announced he would not seek it for either Gypsy or Go John, calling the case extraordinary and unusual. After her attorney obtained her medical licenses from Louisiana, he secured a plea bargain to second-degree murder for Gypsy. So undernourished was Gypsy during the year she was in the county jail, he told BuzzFeed later she actually gained 14 pounds in contrast to most of his clients who would lose weight while they were in jail. Uh, in 2015, of July of 2015, she accepted the plea bargain agreement and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Uh, Gojon still faced the more severe charge as prosecutors contended he initiated the murder plot, and both he and Gypsy agreed that he was the one who actually killed Dee Dee. Her plea bargain agreement did not require her to testify against him. Uh, and in January 2017, his trial was postponed when prosecutors requested a second psychiatric exam. His lawyers contended that he has an intelligence quotient, quotient of 82 and is on the autism spectrum, suggesting diminished capacity. He had initially waived his right to a trial by jury, but changed his mind in June of that year. So in December of 2017, the judge set Gojun's trial for November 2018. So this is, like, still going. 
uh, in their <laughs> opening statement. Still happening. It's just still going. And, like, so in their opening statement, prosecutors alleged that Gojon had deliberated for over a year before the crime, while his lawyers pointed to his autism and said that Gypsy had formulated the crime and their love-struck client had just done as she had asked. Uh, the next day, prosecutors showed jurors the text messages, sometimes sexually explicit, that just Gypsy and Gojon shared in the week before the murder, often using various personas as well as the knife that he had used. In some of the texts, he asked her for details about Dee Dee's room and sleeping habits. These were supplemented by video of his interviews with police after his arrest, where he admitted to having killed her. Uh, Gypsy testified on the trial's third day. She said that while she had indeed suggested to Gojon that he killed Dee Dee to end her mother's abuse, she had also considered getting pregnant by him in the hopes that when she was carrying Gojon's child, Dee Dee would have to accept him. Along with the knife she eventually gave to Gojon, she stole baby clothes from Walmart doing a shopping trip so she could get ahead with either plan. Those are two wildly different plans. <laughs> Those are so dealt. Like, why did it? you go to murder first? <laughs> God. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Um, however, she said Gojon never told her what he thought about the pregnancy plan. Uh, after four days, the case was sent to the jury. Jurors had the option of finding Gojon not guilty or guilty for one of three murder charges, involuntary manslaughter, secondary murder, or first-degree murder. After approximately two hours of deliberation, they returned with the verdict, and Gojon was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. In February 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction, the only possible option since prosecutors had declined to seek the death penalty. Gojon asked Judge David Jones for leniency on the armed criminal action charge, which carries a minimum sentence of only three years, saying that he had fallen blindly in love with Gypsy. He received a sentence of 25 years on that charge to run concurrent with the life sentence. Jones also denied a motion by Gojon's lawyer, Dwayne Perry, for a new trial. Perry had argued that the jury should not have been allowed to hear that Gojon had considered raping Dee Dee on the night of the murder, that the state's psychologist should not have been allowed to testify while Gojon's psychologist should have to establish that he had diminished capacity. The judge, in denying the motion, conceded that an appeals court could find the latter point significant and consider it a reversible error. So, everybody, once this started coming out, the community flipped their shit. Uh... Yeah. The, na- the neighbors, the community that had been around uh, them in Missouri, who had always looked out for the mother and daughter, engaged in considerable soul-searching about how they had been deceived. Uh, Woodsman Z, who had the information about Gypsy's relationship with Gojon, led police to the couple, uh, said she cried out in disbelief upon hearing that Gypsy had never been sick or disabled. Uh, her mother recalled how everybody had accepted Dee Dee's claims without asking for proof, and wondered if the mother and daughter had been secretly laughing at their neighbor's naivety. Uh, there was also a neighbor, uh, Kim Blanchard, who is not related to them, had also called the deputy sheriffs on the house the night before, saying, What I have been believing, how could I have been so stupid? Uh, despite this disclosure, 60 pen- people attended a candlelight vigil Blanchard organized for Dee Dee in downtown Springfield the night after the body was discovered. Uh, Dee Dee's family in Louisiana, who had confronted her about her treatment of Gypsy years before, did not regret her death. Oof. Uh, her father, stepmother, and nephew, who first shared details of Gypsy's actual health when she was first confined to a wheelchair, all later said that Dee Dee deserved her fate, and Gypsy had been punished as much as she needed to be. None of them would pay for her funeral or even pick up her ashes, and her father and stepmother ultimately flushed them down the toilet. Holy shit. That's cold. 
uh, Rod Blanchard, Gypsy's father, is less critical. He said, I think Dee Dee's problem was she started with a level of lies and there was no escaping after. It was like a tornado got started. He said he was happy the first time they saw a video of Gypsy walking under her own power. Uh, Gypsy is now serving her sentence in Missouri's Chillicothe Correctional Center. That is very close to my town. Cool. (laughs) Like, every time we see the news, they're, like, and they're, like, you know, just showing, like, all the cities near your city, and they're, like, it's gonna Uh be this temperature in this area. Chillicothe's always on the map. Uh, it's, like, northeast of my city. Uh, so Gypsy did not talk to the media until after she had made her plea. When she did, she told BuzzFeed reporter Michelle Dean that she had been able to research Munchausen syndrome by proxy on prison computers, and that her mother had every single symptom. Uh, she said, I think she would have been the perfect mom for somebody that was actually, like, was sick. Uh, yeah. she, she believed Dee Dee's claim that she had cancer, even though she knew she could walk and eat solid food, leading her to assent to the regular head shavings. However, she always yeah. hoped that doctors would see through the ruse, and she was frustrated that none besides Flasterstein did. Uh, when Dean asked her what made her want to escape her situations, Gypsy recalled the 2011 incident at the science fiction convention, which made her wonder why she was not allowed to have friends like others of her age. Uh, while she says that Go- Gojon took their ideal idol comments, just, I'm sorry. While Gojon took their idle discussions of murder into reality, she accepted that accepts that she committed a crime and has to live with the consequences. Uh, nonetheless, she feels freer in prison than she was before and hopes to help other abused victims. Uh, victims of Munchausen by proxy abuse often avoid doctors in the hospital in their later lives because of lingering trust issues, according to expert Mark Feldman. According to her family, Dean and Carr, Gypsy also exhibits at times the same sociopathic manipulative behaviors as her mother, who was for much of her life her only role model. She was already psycho- psychologically really compromised, and she's going to need as much family underpinning and support as she can get, Feldman told Vulture after viewing Carr's documentary, uh, in which she appears. He also points out that post-traumatic stress disorder is likely to be an issue for her continuing development. Uh, he said, I hope they find someone wherever she chooses to settle who is willing to provide supportive psychotherapy. So, as you can imagine, and as you mentioned, uh, this came very popular in pop culture. Uh, mm-hmm. HBO produced the documentary film Mommy Dead and Dearest, directed by Erin Lee Carr, Erin, uh, E-R-I-N, so a woman, about the murder and its relation to Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Uh, the film includes interrogation footage and exclusive interviews with Nick Gojun and incarcerated Gypsy Rose, and it premiered in May of 15th, 2017. And in television, there was a lot. Uh, the CBS network talk show Dr. Phil episode Mother Knows Best, a story of Munchausen by proxy and murder, features interviews with Gypsy Rose, her father, and stepmother, which premiered in 2017. Uh, ABC News Information Series Good Morning America did a segment, Mother of All Murders, uh, which had an exclusive in-prison interview with Gypsy Rose in 2018. Uh, there was also the news magazine series 2020, which did the story of Gypsy Blanchard. Uh, and there was also, of course, the popular Hulu uh, true crime series The Act, which was eight episodes long uh, based on Michelle Dean's 2016 BuzzFeed article. Dean is an executive producer and writer for the first season of the series, and Joey King plays Gypsy Rose, and she shaved her head for the role. Uh, Patricia Arquette was cast as Dee Dee and premiered in 2019. Uh, and the 2019 Netflix web television series The Politician, the characters Infinity Jackson, Ricardo, and Dusty Jackson are respectively based on Gypsy Rose Blanchard, Nicholas Gojon 
Gojon and Dee Dee Blanchard. There's also like a Lifetime movie that dra like the dramatizing the case as inspired by true events. Uh, Investigation Discovery did a two-hour-long documentary, uh, and there was also a television series, CID, that aired an episode, Death on Social Media, that was based around how Dee Dee was murdered through Gypsy contacting her boyfriend on social media. So, this is, yeah, it's, <laughs> this was a big-ass case, and, like, the whole state was just, just absolutely wild of it when it came out. So, that's Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose. Um, I think the, yeah, the actress should still be on HB on Hulu. Uh, I don't know about the documentary on HBO, I'd have to see, but it's probably still on there. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a huge thing that came out, and when, when I saw the daughter, when I saw Jeannie in Ma, I was like, oh, I know what I'm gonna cover this time, because <laughs> at first I was gonna be like, <laughs> Adults serving children uh, alcohol mm -hmm. at first, oh, but then that then, then that happened, and I was like, "Oh, oh, hold on, yeah. oh, okay." Oh, shit, so, dude. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even heard of it's because I don't live in Missouri, probably, but I <laughs> hadn't even heard of this until the act happened. So that was my only frame of reference. But it sounds yeah. like the media went hog wild for it. The media was. I, I kind of remember hearing about it. I think well, I was also in, like, college, so I was kind of just thinking more of, like, myself and what going on there. So I wasn't <laughs> really paying vibing. attention. Just vibing, just not paying attention to the uh, news at all. But I kind of remember hearing about that, and I was like, it's fucked, man, that's fucked. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Big yikes. Uh, so, you know, he can jump back to the movie now um is this a gay film yes <laughs> absolutely so many reasons why some that i had even forgotten about um well i mean so first of all the the director's gay tate taylor uh, yeah like, uh and this i don't know what i guess he brings a different gaze to horror with this and mm -hmm. I, it's always interesting to see what people do that with their first genre film, because his other movie, well, I guess kind of Girl on a Train was a thriller, but this is his first, like, horror movie. Yeah. And just the gaze that he brings into it, and I think him being gay and then a female DP, I always, I always pay attention to the way that, like, if a horror movie only sexualizes the men or only contains nude men, because there's that scene where Ma makes that guy strip, yeah. And it literally just, like, slowly just, like, but, like, very purposefully just pans down to his bare ass and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, a gay man made this. <laughs> like, it's very specific. No, oh, no. And, and when Luke Evans is tied up in the bed and he only has a oh, towel. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was you not prepared dick. for that scene. I was not prepared for a prosthetic Luke Evans dick to almost be cut off. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. There's full prosthetic dick in this too. Yeah, of course. Yep. yep. How could we forget? <laughs> yeah. So there's, so there's that. Like, I'm just like, check mark, check mark. I mean, Luke Evans' presence already. I mean, he always, he plays straight men. Usually, like, that's kind of like the career path he's chosen and that's fine. But I'm just like, his presence here adds to the, like, him playing such a, like, archetypal small town straight dude i think is camp in itself like yeah. it, am i right like yeah. i don't know like literally like the first scene he's literally just like getting head and so uninterested and he's like ah oh, whatever 
Yeah. It's it's jarring. He seems like he's bothered by it or something. He's just kind of like not into it at all. I'm just like, all right, man. Um, it's jarring seeing him play the parent of a teenager. I'm like, I guess he's old enough for that, huh? Huh. Um, okay, so also, I think that Haley's definitely a les. I think because... Yes. I love how, like, everyone's introduction, they're all just like, oh, no, I'm not gay. Like, every, like, almost all the teens at some point say that, but she literally, like, just, like, first meets Maggie and compliments her ass and says, I'm not gay, I'm not a lesbian, though. And then later when she's drunk, she kisses her, which... I mean, that's, I guess, that's the thing that girls do in experimenting and everything, but just from a personal case, any, any friend I, any female friend I had in high school that, like, jokingly, quote unquote, like, kissed their female friend turned out to be queer later on. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, like, I'm just saying. Well, didn't they say that, uh, Chaz was gay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then it sounded like he was trying to be like, no, dude, I love pussy. And I was like, you gay. <laughs> sure, Chan. Sure. Sure, Chaz. Oh my god, that's my fucking cat. <laughs> anyway, and plus, like, so all of that, and plus just, like, this this movie's so chaotic. Like, I, and I, I know I just keep saying that, but that, <laughs> like, it's so gay. I don't um, do you have any thoughts? Did I miss anything? Um, oh god, I was just like, I was just thinking about, uh, how, like, yeah, it's just so gay. <laughs> like, it really is. Octavia Spencer's bangs? Gay. <laughs> it feels like that. flashbacks? <laughs> it feels like that one video of Aubrey Plaza introducing the, like, things you didn't know were gay, but were, actually were. <laughs> With the men, the Truly. Los Angeles yes. Game Choir. From the Independent Spirit Wars, yeah. Yes! <laughs> they would be like, yeah, if, if Ma was not it would have been like, Octavia, Octavia, Octavia Spencer walking a three-legged dog, that would be like. <laughs> 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 oh my god, Allison Janney, another. <laughs> I can't elaborate, but that somehow, her presence makes this presence. gay in camp. I I forgot she was in this upon my rewatch, and it's so, like, this is such a small role for her presence, like, she had just won an Oscar. (laughs) She's like, yeah, sure, I'll be in this horror movie, just telling Octavia Spencer to get off her phone. Oh my god, oh my god, Ma does not do her job. How does she still have it? (laughs) Right? I I would love that job. (laughs) I don't work with a vet. Fuck. I know, right? Oh, but, like, and, like, at the end, when she's, like, got them all, uh, like, with, the, like, the, like, the, they're, like, collared up and shit. Uh-huh. I was, like, a little bit gay. Oh, very. <laughs> <laughs> at least a little, at least a little bit. Um, and she put the fucking iron on that dude's, like, chest and, like, stomach. Oh, I was, God. like, bro, what the fuck? And yeah, sewing. That scene gets gnarly. Yeah, the so. <laughs> Oh. Sewing up the, the lifts on Haley, yeah. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I'm glad that they were knocked out so they didn't, like, feel that happening. But just, like, mm-hmm. how would you react waking up and, like, you cannot open your mouth? Like, because it showed so shut. And I'm just like, oh, my God, that's that's so gross. I can't even deal with that. Yeah, that was that scene was kind of how the trailer ended. And you're like, oh, what the fuck is this movie going to be? Oh, God. <laughs> and her <laughs> painting, <laughs> Daryl's face white, I was like, I was just making, like, the biggest, like, my eyes were, like, huge. I was like, what the fuck? What's going on? 
Um, but uh, God bless uh, Jeannie for, like, she, like, pretended that the officer, because, like, obviously the officer that came to be, like, there's, like, sorority cups stuff and, like, all this mm-hmm. shit on your lawn. And then he's, like, walking away and then Maggie's, like, somebody help me. Turns around then he gets shot by Ma. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Ripped eight Taylor. Uh, <laughs> and then Jeannie shouts up because she's still upstairs and she's, like, pretending that he's still alive. And then she smacks her mom with the pan, like, when she opens the door. <laughs> And it just falls down and starts a fire because of all the candles that are lit. And it's like, holy shit. Like, she, she like, saved the day. Because if it yeah. wasn't for her, like, th- I have no idea what the hell would have happened. Um, but then she, like, she walks upstairs and lies down next to Ben's body, who she, like, killed, like, the night before. Yeah. Like, that whole, <laughs> that whole sequence with, like, putting the dog's blood in him and then, like, cutting I, his arm and, like, cutting I'm his I'm obsessed with that part. <laughs> I love it. Just like, oh my god. She puts him down like a dog. She let, she puts dog's blood in him? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh she got, god. like, that's that's why the whole, like, oh, you're, like, he's, like, that's why he was bleeding and, yeah. like, that whole scene and, like, he's like, I'm not, bre- he's, like, not breathing great because he just lost a yeah. pretty good amount of blood, I believe. Poor bud. Yeah, poor dog. Like, at least, like, I was looking on does the dog die when I saw <laughs> there was too. a dog. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I gotta look it up. Um, but thankfully, like, that's the only thing that happens to an animal in the whole movie. Like, that's it. That's the, that's the, like, I'm like, when movies are like, the allure's thing is a dog loses some blood because she took it from him to use against a dude that had wronged her in her past. That movie gets some (laughs) valid points. Good for her. (laughs) Good for her. Um. Oh, it's so, like, heartbreaking scene, because, like, I don't think at the beginning of this movie, and this might just be opinion, that she is capable of what she ends up doing, and it's kind of like this slow descent after her second chance also gets destroyed, and after that meeting specifically with Luke Evans, I don't remember his character name, but like it's so oh yeah, it's it's so jarring how like he turns on the charm at first, and then it turns out he's just trying to tell find her out what off. the fuck's going on with his yeah. son, and he just switches so quickly. Um, that's a yeah, that felt baby. like. That felt like the turning point in it, because everything yeah. else felt like... Yeah. I think she could, like, deal with the teenagers not wanting to always be at her house because they were yeah. teenagers or something, but, like, when that happened, it's just, like, a little switch had been flipped, and now it's, like... And then she fucking ran over Mercedes when she was just jogging in the row. And I was like, holy shit. Do you remember? <laughs> and when... Because uh, I always watch, like, movies with subtitles, apparently in the scene where um, Maggie's mom like, confronts her in the store, uh-huh. and she, like, turns away, and she's, like, and to think I took care of Mercedes for you, and then she, I think she hears that, and she's, like, yeah, what? Like, she probably knew that Mercedes had been run over or something, so she was, like, holy shit, no. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Quick yeah. shout-out to Juliette Lewis. I just, she's great. <laughs> she's great. That was an interesting, like, um, mother-daughter dynamic. Like, yeah. Because you can tell that they're all each other has, especially in this move, and she's trying to be, like, the cool mom, but also... Yeah. Disciplining her when need be. Uh, yeah, I and also... <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, the job that she comes back to do, I don't think I've ever seen somebody actually, like... Because the most time whenever I've seen women in movies in casinos, it's always, like, as dancers or something, or maybe even, uh-huh. like, a blackjack dealer... Um, but I've never seen somebody come back home to work a job as, like, delivering drinks from the bar. 
and like waitress. and she yeah. didn't act like it was like the worst thing in the world but yeah like, she's like it's better than a desk job and she's like she she went to that retreat because i think she wants to work her way up to being a dealer that's yeah. why she went to that retreat with Stu, also gay icon Stu. Gay uh, icon Stu. Another, yes. Um, He's gay. You look at him and you're like, gay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he opened his mouth and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was like, it. I was trying to look up. I'm like, is this actor gay or is he playing a stereotype? And I like could not find the answer, but. <laughs> God. I'm gonna hope. <laughs> God. Yeah, good. I mean. Like, full disclosure, I'm not, I don't know if I would tell anyone that this is a good movie, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. I was cackling on my couch the whole time, and my cat was, like, staring at me. (laughs) This was on my second viewing. I already knew what was going to happen. I'd say at least give it a watch, and, and, um, again, if you, y'all know any, like, black film critics that reviewed this, I would love to see it. Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Definitely. Um, like, it's it's a hell of a ride the whole time. Yes. Oh, my God. The guy who played, uh, yeah, the guy who played Stu, he's been in a lot of TV shows and stuff. Oh, yeah? He was in Batman Begins in 2005. Holy shit. Good for him. He's been, like, he's been in Oh, It's Sunny in Philadelphia, The Leftovers, The Good Place, uh, Feud, Betty and Joan. He was in <laughs> 2017's Teen Wolf. Uh, he's been in, oh, he's in the Santa Clarita diet, so we'll have to definitely watch that one. Uh, yeah, he's been in some stuff, but yeah, um. We should wind down. It's almost an hour. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> it was a long cry, man. I had yeah. to go into it. That, that's shit lot I cannot. A lot of crime. It's a lot of crime. You couldn't leave out details in that case. Yeah. Okay, so would you like me to start, or? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, today that we are recording... It is my birthday. Woo! I'm 20, 25 years old. Happy birthday. Quarter of a century. Quarter of a century around the sun. Makes can't believe think. it. <laughs> Makes you think. Um, and a couple nights ago, I went and saw uh, the musical Come From Away because it was in my town. Oh. Um, it's about uh, this town in Newfoundland called Grander. Uh, or, yeah, Grander, Newfoundland. And it's where, like... 38 planes or so were, like, grounded during 9-11, and they were there for almost a week. There was, like, I think the population, they said, was uh, 9,000, and it, like, almost doubled with everybody that was staying there. Damn. And it's based off of a uh, book, I believe, that people, like, the book and lyrics and the people who named the musical also wrote the book. Uh, then they did done interviews with uh, people that had been there, and they, like, went back for the 10-year anniversary. Uh, and some of the people, actually, like, these two people that had just met on the airplane, uh, one lived in Texas and one lived in England, they actually got together, and they are married. Because uh, they met in Grander, Newfoundland. Uh, and it was just, like, because I'd heard of the story before that the people, there had been people that had been grounded uh in different places but i didn't know that they had been making it into a musical so that was kind of cool uh to see and it doesn't have an intermission it's short enough that they just play the whole thing and then it's done um other than that i haven't been up to much else just because i'm very tired every time i come home and i'm just like i'm gonna play video games on my phone um uh but i have been uh i started a new book uh the 
the purity myth, uh, which talks about oh, America's yeah. obsession with, uh, like, this whole, like, myth, like, virginity with women and, like, the quote-unquote pureness of them, while also slapping this double standard of, you know, you they be sexy and shit like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like... Interesting how they don't, it, it never applies to men. Whenever you read, like, slur up the word virgin, it always says something about women. Um, and I'm like, interesting. So I'm reading that, and I'm just like, I'm only like maybe 30 pages in, and I'm just like, I need everybody to read this book because this is making me mad. Yeah, I feel like I would just be angry reading it. Like, I, I fucking know! <laughs> it's like, I know, I know. It's, you know, like, if you don't have sex, you're a prude, but if you have sex, you're a slut, you know? Like, it's like, well, what, how else are these guys not gonna, like, get it on? How are, like, you don't like gays, so what do you want? <laughs> so, uh, that's all I've been really up to lately. I need to get back to watching Succession, because I'm just Woo! so bad at watching TV shows. Oh my god, did you see what HBO fucking did? I did! Oh my god. I thought Sydney was gonna die. Yeah, for y'all, um, like, I guess it was like an HBO, like, email newsletter kind of thing. It was like, this Valentine's Day, watch your favorite HBO couples, and it was fucking Tom and Greg. <laughs> and everyone was like, is that, can you explain? It's like, hello? Hello? <laughs> hello? Um, uh, yeah, you should watch that. Yeah, I, I need to get back on it so badly. I'll probably, uh, end up watching it this, uh, this weekend when... I'm in down like tonight or something, and uh, hopefully go see Birds of Prey tomorrow, because uh, ah, I need my, to see it. That's my wind down. Speaking of, so I hell yes, Birds of Birds of fucking Prey. Oh my god, y'all! First of all, don't buy into the myth that it's bombing because it's not. It's already made back its budget and then some. Yes. Um, it is perfect perfection. <laughs> it it's like. It, you can go, like, one of two uh, different ways with, like, designing Gotham City, but this is just so full of, like, life and color and, like, you just, you see the day-to-day -day life of, like, Gothamites, like, Harley Quinn, like, just, like, buying a sandwich at the, the local shop and there's a, like, a scene where she buys a sandwich that <laughs> it's filmed like a sex scene or something, like, it's playing Barry White and everything. Bless. Um, but I, just every female character is just so, like, fleshed out and the the friendship that they build is so beautiful and they all just become like these protective like moms for Cassandra Kane. Um, and me meanwhile, Ewan McGregor, speaking of camp, Jesus Christ, Ewan McGregor in this. Ewan McGregor! Having the time of his life and wearing eyeliner. Um, <laughs> and, um, God, Oswald! Yeah, and just like, oh yeah, Oswald's here. And just like, the stunts are incredible. Like they got the fight choreographers that do like John Wick and everything. And yes. it's just like, Margot Robbie's a fucking beast, okay? Like, uh, there, it, it it worked out well that um, because in the one of the newer comic runs of Harley Quinn, she joins a roller derby, and they have a little sequence of that, and Harley fights on skates at one point, and Kathy Ann was like, "Well, that yeah, that worked out well because of I Tanya, she already knew how to skate." Yes. Um, oh, it's just a blast. I also I watched some stuff for Valentine's Day. I decided. Y'all should check out my article. Well, I know it's not Valentine's Day anymore, but if you want some romantic horror movies to watch that are, in my warped-up brain's opinion, uh, romantic, 
I'll, I'll, I can post that article, but for Valentine's Day, I watched some horror movies. Um, earlier on this week, I watched the Blumhouse End of the Dark one. The, I think it's just called, like, My Valentine. Fuck, let me Ooh. find that. While I'm looking for that, I'll talk about... So I watched Saw every Valentine's Day, obviously. I, wa- <laughs> I watched the My Bloody Valentine remake. Oh my um, god. That was, like, you know... 2009. Ma- 2009, made <laughs> to the- be in th- that the was 3D the- one. Yes, that was the one my sister, her, and her now husband saw on their first date. <laughs> oh my god. Horror I- bringing people together. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah, that's <laughs> cinema. Okay, yeah, it's called My Valentine. The new, um, it was the Blumhouse into the Dark Valentine's Day episode. Sorry, my fucking cat is making noises. <laughs> um, but it's about this, this, um, aspiring pop singer and her abusive ex-boyfriend slash ex-manager steals all of her ice songs and her, like, kind of, like, identity, like, her look and everything, um, oh, for gosh. his new protege. And that, that girl becomes famous. Kind of like a Hedwig situation. Oh my gosh. Um... And he shows up to one of her shows to confront her, and it's just, oh, it's fucking terrifying, just, like, because it gets so many things about abuse so right, and Mm -hmm. that's, like, truly terrifying. The guy that plays the ex was, um, he played the Mad Hatter on Gotham, also fucking terrifying, and I'm like, oh, this guy's good (laughs) at playing a creep! Um, so highly recommend that. It's the debut feature of, of a female director by the name... Of Maggie Levin. Sorry, I had to look it up. <laughs> so she was on Switchblade Sisters this week. Cool. I was like, yes, good yes. timing. She talked about the Lost Boys. She's cool. Uh, that's what I've been up to. Just a lot of, lot of horror, getting back into horror and celebrating Singles Awareness Day with horror, as you do. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we should... Oh, yeah? Oh, no, sorry. I thought I, thought I saw something else. I was like, no, I mentioned that the other day. <laughs> so, <laughs> other time. So, no. Um, but yeah, other than that, not too much going on. Uh, so it sounds like we've had some pretty eventful days this past week. Yeah. And in the week that we were gone, uh, just Kate's was, Kate's schedule was just whack. So yeah. we just decided to just not, just to let this be one less stress thing to deal, to deal with. So, but now that we are back, uh, and this was a good movie to review over. I'm excited for whatever we cover next, which is always a surprise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and we, we do have a guest coming up. Yes, we do. Uh, another surprise. New new get, new to y'all. New to new. new guest. So it'll be fun. Yes. So, we'll, so, we'll, oh yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll I guess we'll do it for this week. Uh so where can we find you on social media? Uh, I'm at Dyke Madden on Twitter. I'm also on Twitter at LM Designs, and for the podcast, we have a Twitter, uh, Horror Time Pod, and Facebook, Stop Horror Time Pod. Uh, if you like what we do and would like to support us, you can give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen to your favorites. Uh, that's just purely so that way other people could possibly find the show and give it a listen, spread the word, all that fun stuff. We're great for people who want to know more about horror but just can't watch it. Uh, so... We are eternally grateful for you guys. If you have any movies that you'd love for us to cover one day, you can always just tweet at us or add us on Facebook, whatever you'd like to do. And we look forward to talking about the next movie with you on the next episode. See you later. See ya.